Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. On my show today, you're going to hear from Stephanie Toome, who is a customer experience advisor and leader, having worked for many years in both the public and private sectors. I asked her a lot about her experience in government. What does that have to do with customer experience? What can we learn from government that applies to business and vice versa? We explored one topic that I love because it gets in the way of doing CX right, and that is red tape, bureaucracy, politics within organizations. We need to reduce that and focus on delivering better experiences for employees and for customers. And she explains exactly how to do that. Please, I request that you subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channel and leave me a review. Your feedback means a lot to me. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Stephanie Toome. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you are here because you have a unique view and perspective of customer experience, and we're going we're gonna to get to that. So, to begin, please tell my audience, who are you? What do you do professionally? So I am a certified customer experience professional and have been for several years. A few years ago, I created a company called Practical CX, and I work with government agencies, tech firms, and marketing firms on customer experience consulting and digital marketing, practical perspectives and approaches. Mm. And I love that you have government in your experience because people don't always realize that there is a lot of CX in government and and business. So we'll tap into that in a few. What's your why? Why are you so passionate about all this? You know, I was sort of bitten by the bug, the CX bug, I guess almost 15, 17 years or so ago, I was at Ernst & Young, which is now called EY. And I was part of a cadre of up-and-coming professionals that they moved from a business development function into this new thing that they started doing, where they were sitting um, internal, sort of independent executives down face-to-face with clients to interview them and get their voice and find out what was working well and how the firm could do better and communication-wise and improve so that we could retain that business. And it became very obvious to me early on that it had very little to do with our ads in the Wall Street Journal, with those beautiful, wonderful proposals that I had been previously just killing myself to make perfect, everything to do with their experiences. Like, could they get their consultant on the phone? Could they find a place to park when they came to visit? Did they feel like they were being looked out for? So then I started really thinking about and getting involved in what is the experience of clients and was really bitten by that bug. And it was before we actually had the term customer experience. And so from there, I I took that experience and did some more work in the law firm world and in government before I went to Qualtrics for a year or so and then started my own company. Love the journey. What's one fun fact people might not know about you? (laughs) Well, I think some people might know this about me, but um, I worked my way through college. 
and at least two jobs the whole time during my undergrad years, and sometimes three jobs, seven days a week. And that was one of the most difficult times of my life. I'll just come right out and say that. One of the hardest times. I'd never want to go back and do it again. But working your way through school teaches you so much about project management, time management, and resource management. And those are lessons that you can carry with you throughout your career. And so when I look back on that, it was a hard time, but I learned so much. I bet it's made you very resilient, too. <laughs> I, I would hope so. So now let's get to the meat of the show, customer experience and doing it right. What does customer experience mean to you within all the roles that you have? Can you define it? Well, for me, customer experience is a business discipline. It is a construct that you operationalize through practices like voice of the customer and governance and design and strategy. But in creating that definition, I think that it's also important to sort of stay in tune with how others define it. Because while others may not define it the way that I've defined it, the way that I define it is having to do with how I came up in the profession. But others may have different ideas as to what that means, but I still need to understand how they see it in order to lock arms with them to make the business run in ways that um, make the most sense for customers and for the business. So what does CX have to do with government? Mm. I love this question. And I, <laughs> I've always loved this question. So, you know, government touches everyone every day. And it only makes sense to think about customer experiences, practices within the realms of government because governments owe it to the people to operate efficiently and fairly. And this could be a real rabbit hole. So maybe you can share with me a little bit more about what what you might want to know and what your listeners might want to know. Well, government is just like a business, and yet we don't always think of it that way. So, yeah, let, let's dig deep into a particular topic, politics. Okay. <laughs> and, and red tape, bureaucratic, okay. bureaucratic red tape. We know that exists in politics, and we know that exists in business. So you've written about it's a customer problem and obliterates employee experiences. Yeah, yeah. So talk so about that. Who hasn't experienced bureaucratic red tape and administrative sludge and administrative burden? I mean, if you've ever had to fill out a federal student aid form for your kids or for yourself, or if you've ever had to fill out redundant forms at a doctor's office before you could be seen or a government agency before you could receive service, um, if you've spent hours trying to understand complicated tax rules and complicated tax forms, then you understand administrative burden and red tape because these have to do with rules. Sometimes they're dysfunctional rules. Sometimes they're outdated. They cause friction. Sometimes they don't make any sense at all. Sometimes bureaucratic red tape can have to do with personalities that essentially stand in the way of being able to have a clear path to accomplishing what you need to accomplish. And there are costs that are associated with bureaucratic red tape, psychologically, monetarily, physiologically, and there are time aspects that go into bureaucratic red tape that need to be considered from both from a citizen's perspective, from an employee's perspective, from a from a political perspective and a leader's leaders and a leadership perspective. So what do you think are some of the root causes that 
let's say, entrepreneurs and business leaders that are listening right now, what should they be mindful of? And what can they avoid to make it easier? You know, this is this is really fascinating. Um, I started looking and studying red tape, actually, as part of my PhD work. And I initially came into it from an, a customer experience perspective, because that's the perspective that I really, really love. But what I found was a much bigger pile of research on the employee experience aspects of bureaucratic red tape and sludge and administrative burden. Multiple studies have shown that red tape is connected to customer dissatisfaction, but we know a whole lot more from the scholarly world about how red tape diminishes employee experiences. And I actually did write down a few things because there's so much connected to red tape and employee experience, but red tape has been looked at from an employee's perspective in terms of rigid hierarchy and clunky onboarding processes and rules that make it hard to get a promotion or rules that say that you've got to fill out 10 pieces of paper before you can get reimbursed for something. And that's before employees actually start living out the rules that they have to administer to customers every day. So here's what it leads to. Job stress, reduced work commitment, rule bending, attrition, mistakes, inhibited innovation, slowed productivity, diminished job satisfaction, reduced intention to communicate with leadership and to people deliberately working against leadership. Those are all showing up in separate studies and then some, that's just a small taste of what we know to be the problems associated with bureaucratic red tape and administrative burden and sludge. Do you think that this pandemic we've experienced is going to make it better or worse? In other words, are leaders doing things differently to to lessen what we're used to in that way? We have only anecdotal evidence at this point and and so much mixed anecdotal evidence about what leaders are doing differently at this point. There is a huge gap in the scholarly world about that link between leadership and how leadership views administrative burden and red tape. We've got a lot of study on what it leads to, but without linking leadership and bureaucratic red tape, we're missing an important link as to how leaders could possibly influence the creation or the non-creation of rules and how Leaders could possibly influence red tape perceptions among employees that might wind up being stressed out and burned out and want to leave their jobs because of all the red tape that they have to work through. So we, we're still learning about how leaders are responding in light of COVID-19. And I think we're going to learn a lot more as time goes on. Do you think red tape and what we're talking about is the cause of this great resignation happening? I mean, if you think about why do people leave jobs? Yes, there's studies that say they leave their bosses. There's a lot of research on that. But besides that, politics is is huge and silos are everywhere. And that's also because of politics within companies. So it feels like they're connected. Yeah, I, I think that it, it absolutely could be connected. And one of the things that I do think about this, the great resignation as we're learning about it now, is it is it is a huge lesson in followership. 
What I mean by that is, you know, we think a lot about leadership and the great resignation and leaders like to study leadership and how do I lead? But what we haven't really taken a, as huge of a nosedive into is understanding followers. Followers in this context, meaning employees. And leaders show no signs really of retreating from red tape. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the situation that there are rules that get piled on top of rules and people think, oh, it's no big deal. It's just another five-minute task. Well, you know, death by 110-minute tasks, that takes time away from employees being able to perform their, their core work. And so there could possibly be a link. And so perhaps we'll see more of that as the research unfolds post-COVID-19. I also believe that the leaders at the top, who we know drive culture, when they're not synchronized, when, they're, when they don't have close relationships, that is really causing a lot of the red tape. Do you agree? I think that it I think that it absolutely can can contribute to sludge and red tape because um, there are a lot of rules that are formal. There are some that are informal that employees perceive as red tape. They may not be written down, but there may be a process that a manager came up with, not in collaboration with another manager, that just makes things more difficult for employees. So leaders do need to be mindful of their collaborative processes that ripple down to employ ripple around to employees mm-hmm. in terms of their ha- overall job satisfaction, stress and happiness at work. So that's a clear best practice takeaway. What else do you recommend that people listening absolutely do? You know, I would also think that we can be mindful as leaders. We can look at things like processes We can challenge when someone says, oh, let's just make some rules and straighten out this whole mess. Rules get piled on top of rules and rules wind up being something that we wind up with so many that even though they're created to create cognitive certainty for employees, they create cognitive uncertainty. So we need to be mindful of that. And I think someone speaking up and saying, you know, maybe we don't need a dozen new rules for this one process that we want to roll out. Um, Someone speaking up, just knowing what piling those rules on top of rules can do for employees can go a long way. But we have so much ground to cover and so much more to understand. But those are some ways to start taking a look at things. We also have now the concept of sludge audits. And I love this concept talked about by Cass Sunstein. He has a book out called Sludge, and he's also written in the uh, scholarly world pretty significantly about sludge and has brought up this concept of sludge audits, which is kind of an overlay to what we do in CX and journey mapping, where we can take a look at the time that employees are spending on these 10, 10-minute tasks over a certain amount of time and start attaching dollar values to it based on hourly uh, hourly wages and figuring out, okay, if you have, say, 100 employees who are spending two hours a week on administrative sludge and you assess a dollar value to that, you can wind up with a a monetary figure that says, this is how much it's costing us having all of these rules and outdated rules and processes. And what can we do to minimize this and save ourselves some time and save ourselves some money and save our employees some stress. There's so much benefit into considering those techniques. A sludge audit. I've never heard that before. 
it's an, a newer concept. And, you know, there's a, a New South Wales government in Sydney is doing what they call sludge-a-thons, where they are taking a look at all of the sludge that's a part of government practices and they're taking a look and, you know, figuring out how much time are we spending? How much money is this costing us as a result of how much time we're spending on these processes? And um, they're starting to take a look at that. And that's a practice that I hope to see unfolding governments around the world as time goes on. Well, not just government, businesses absolutely need to do this sludge technique to free up time for their sales team, the front line especially. Right. You know, when you start thinking about it, when you really take an honest look at it, you've really got to take an honest look because, like I said, leaders really aren't paying much attention. They really aren't retreating from this concept of how much administrative burden they put onto employees. And oftentimes, you know, not all red tape is bad red tape. Some of it is good because it can prevent fraud and cheats, and it can prevent errors. There's and not every rule is bureaucratic red tape, but there are some things that leaders do need to face with respect to the realities that their employees are facing every day with respect to bureaucratic red tape and sludge. And you can measure how much perception is there among your employees about how much red tape is associated with their job and how much red tape is associated with where they work. There are proven and validated scales now that can help you measure those kinds of things. I love that you said leaders are not necessarily paying attention because I just had Neen James on my show, how attention pays, literally. And it's so relevant because we do need to pay more attention to everything you're saying to actually avoid the things that get in our way. Absolutely. I think that, you know, we get so busy. We we really do get so busy. And leaders, of course, have a million different priorities that they're being pulled in different directions. But it does take others, you know, others within that circle who can speak up, who do learn about these techniques to sort of influence internally and bring up these new techniques like sludge audits and like being mindful of rules. And to say, hey, you know, over the past 10 years, there's been all this research on how rules and bureaucratic red tape can impact our employees' perceptions of their jobs and where they work. So even if you're not maybe in that top role, that doesn't mean you can't influence people internally by bringing up these important points. Yes, I always say you're a leader. You don't have to have leader in your title to be one. And uh, I think that's the best saying I heard and I keep repeating and, and to your point. Yeah, so paying attention, being mindful, getting rid of some of the rules that are not working for the individuals, for the employees, for the customers, is what I hear you saying. You've got to have a really honest conversation about the rules because there are intense debates around those rules internally, in my experience, at the senior leadership table in a government agency where you have a strategic goal or a mandate to improve the ease of doing business for customers. Meanwhile, you have oversight bodies who want to influence the way that you do your work who are saying you need more rules. You need more checks and balances in place, which then ripples into employees' workloads. So you've got some elephants in the room there that maybe aren't being faced to the extent that they need to be faced, 
but you've got to start having the conversations. And it might not go well at first, but it's incumbent upon leaders to take really honest looks at how their employees are feeling about their jobs and the reasons why their experiences aren't so great. We can't fill the world with hyperbole and say, oh, you know, customer experience and employee experience are inextricably linked without saying what exactly we're talking about with respect to diminished employee experiences. What exactly is it? And so we have to keep drilling down into that root cause analysis that we do really well in CX to find the answers and to address them. What's your view on governance, having committees and governance, not just in government, but in in companies? What's your perspective? Absolutely. And government does governance really well. (laughs) Imagine that, right? Government does governance really well. I absolutely think that it's so very important for streamlining what CX means across an organization. There are different ways to roll out governance committees, executive committees and steering committees and operational review committees, many different ways to go about doing that. And maybe you need all of those layers and maybe you need to make sure that you are liaised firmly with your advisory committee. Maybe you have an external advisory committee that's comprised of of clients and customers. Finding ways to streamline and lock arms with people across an organization to make sure everybody is on the same page, I think it's the secret sauce in CX. I love that. So now I want to ask you about measurement. A lot of times businesses won't invest in CX or governance or any of the things we're talking about because they don't believe it has it has an impact. What do you say to those people? Why? What makes you think that it doesn't have an impact? Tell me something that you've seen that that you think doesn't matter. That's my question. I I try to understand why and where they're coming from and where they may have heard what they've heard so that I can best address that that feeling. Does that apply in government? They're not really in business, but yet we know it's all business. So how does that, is it satisfaction scores and NPS and level of effort, same concepts in government? Not necessarily, but that is a good place to start the conversation. The truth is in government, there are government agencies that are having conversations with customers every day where customers are not going to walk away satisfied. That's the way that it is with government. So is it necessarily the most fair question to ask a customer if they were satisfied with something where they had to be told no? That's that's a common debate, a common source of conversation within government as to what, what you ask and how you measure. But there are lots of operational measurements and metrics that are out there that can be turnaround time, ratios of approved to denied applications for service, all kinds of operational things that can be looked at. With respect to um, the, the customer feedback, right now, at least in the United States federal government, trust is a really big measure. It's one of the most important ones as mandated by the White House down into federal government agencies. And they want to know about the ease of doing business, realizing that those measures are two kind of different things. Trust is more of a long-term thing and ease of doing business is maybe a little more transactional. So in the United States federal government, they're exploring and doing a lot of really good work now to try to find the things that they can measure across government agencies so they can get a good sense of what's happening across government, not just within an agency or two. I heard a story yesterday, a friend of mine, a colleague, 
uh, was at jury duty. And it was fascinating because it was partially online. And then he had to show up at the courthouse. And a lot of times when we get called for jury duty, there's a lot of hem and haw and don't want to go. But actually, the way they did it with him in this time, I thought, wow, if, if they continue that, you'll have less resistance and it's a better experience. So I'm very curious if he gets, you know, questioned how was the experience and will they take that into effect for more jury duty situations? You know, that's it is very possible because this concept of customer experience, the practices that go with it are becoming more widespread across governments. I see it in state governments as well as in local governments too, where they're asking for feedback and they're they're doing things like having focus groups and they're really trying to get in tune. Government does do some things really well with respect to gathering feedback. It has a long way to go to actually listening to it and implementing it. But by law, government, at least on the federal level, has to go out to the public to ask for feedback. If you ever take a look at the federal register, they go out and they take a look at that feedback. And now for federal government agencies, they have to ask for feedback like that. At least the high impact agencies do. They have to ask for feedback. Now, we're still working on whether or not action has to be taken and what that action has to look like. But that's where other regulatory and oversight bodies may come in to say, hmm, you asked your customers for their feedback on this. What are you doing to take action on it? So there's ground to cover, but there is a swell of interest in it because here's what I think may be happening. You know, there's a business side to running every government agency, just like there is in the private sector. And you made this point earlier, Stacey, and it mirrors the for-profit world. There are benefits and proven benefits to the practices and principles of CX as a business discipline in the private sector that can also make sense for the public sector. And I think we're starting to see how we can, it might not necessarily equate to profit, but it might be about cost avoidance. And every CFO in the federal government likes that term. They, they want to avoid cost. So that's a great selling point for being able to get buy-in internally. Oh, that's so powerful. Gosh, I wish we had more time, but we're running out of it. So let me get to my final questions. I ask this of all my guests because it's my favorite and I'm going to do something with all these responses. The first one is if I had many CEOs, entrepreneur managers, and government officials in my room right now, what is the key takeaway? What's the one thing you want them to know? Oh, gosh, I would encourage them to get past the hyperbole and the opinions that are rampant in, um, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, in the CX world and get to the heart and the truth of what it means to have great customer experiences at your organization and what is standing in the way. Get past the hyperbole that we want it to be great. Well, what is it exactly that you're talking about? Construct. Go from that concept to that construct. Specific goals specific measurements, specific timelines for getting things done. I worked with a boss who used to say, um, sometime next week is not the day you're going to get it to me. Tell me what day. Be specific. And I think that there is a lot of value in that, that CEOs and senior executives need to get in touch with exactly what are you talking about. Land on it, measure it, and then clear the path for your people to be able to live out that vision. Clear the path for sure. And with that statement, does that apply to reducing or eliminating, as we talked about, red tape? 
honesty always applies when it comes to taking a look at that bureaucratic red tape and the sludge. Understand what it is. Understand how employees perceive it. It doesn't matter what you think it actually is. It's what your employees perceive it to be, what your customers perceive it to be, and then work from there. Mm, Well said. And then finally, if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell younger Stephanie that you didn't know then? Gosh, that was at the time when I was in college and I was working those two or three jobs. Um, I think I would go back and say the hard work is worth it. That was, you know, it's a very hard time. But, you know, in those painful times when you are working through doing everything that you've got to do to reach your life goals, Mm -hmm. to reach your professional goals, and it feels like you are just killing yourself, Mm -hmm. you know what? Sometimes it, it it's a good thing to recognize that this work is going to be worth it. I am going to get somewhere. I am going to learn something. So I think that if I had to go back and tell myself one thing, it would be hang in there. You're going to make it. Don't stop. Just keep chugging along. Mm, and trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah, that's a much better way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. It's great advice. And I know people are going to really Think about it and and do it from from this conversation. So people are going to want to find you. Where is the best place? And I'll add it to the show notes. Sure. LinkedIn and Twitter are great places to find me. Um, You know, you can also email me, Stephanie at practical-cx.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom. And I love everything that you had to say. And thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Great show. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.